Today is my first time speaking to you in the new year. I heard that you had a wonderful time with Gary Moore on January 1st, and I hear he complained that I was not here. <laughs> but I'll be here next year. <laughs> We're in a time of the year uh, that is associated with hope. We hope that the new year will be better than the old one. And for many people, 2016 was a challenging year. And so, like other years, we make resolutions about wonderful, healthy, and ambitious things that we're going to do during the new year. We are going to exercise. We are going to lose weight. We are going to finish our book. In January, everything seems possible. It even seems possible that the Cubs could win the World Series. Oh wait, that already happened. But it is. Many people who I talk to tell me that they are not optimistic about 2017. It's a strange feeling to hear many people say that, and I'm sure it's not true of everyone. But I do get that feeling from talking to many UUs, and much of that feeling has to do with politics in our country. So you have probably heard the news that there is going to be a new president. And some people are happy about that. And if you are happy, then I offer you my congratulations. And I hope things will turn out as well as your dreams lead you to think that they will. I really do. But as I talk to you use, I find out more and more that people are not happy. And that there is a kind of um, disappointment feeling about our future, a sense of confusion that some people have. And sometimes I think it is a kind of depression. Now that may not be true for you, but I feel the need to address those concerns because so many of us have them, even though it's not everybody. It's quite a few people. So there is this sense of kind of worry in the air amongst many folks that we're not headed in the right direction. Maybe we are. But many people are worried about that. And there are additional factors that make this year unusual. I was listening to something on NPR, I believe it was, and they were talking about how they choose the word of the year. I don't remember it exactly, but one of the candidates for word of the year for 2016 was surreal. Was that the one that won? I don't remember. That's the one that won. Surreal. 
is the word of the year. And really, that corresponds a lot with the way I have experienced things. It's just kind of bizarre how different elements have come together. So I sense that we have a need to think about that and work with the disappointment that many people feel. And if you feel great about what happened, then I want to talk to you too. Um, Diana and I were traveling a few days ago and we were in an Uber in another city and we started talking to this driver. And he was a nice guy and he was from uh, the Dominican Republic and had worked in the United States for a number of years. And it's just one of those things where you get to talking to the person and you immediately, you felt like, boy, we like this guy, we're gonna keep talking to him. And, and somehow it came around to politics and he said he was, a, he was a Trump supporter. And it was like, what are we gonna do with that information now? <laughs> do we have to recalibrate this conversation? But we decided, I don't, we didn't talk about it, but just to ask him why, and, and he said why. And we ended up still liking him. And I'm glad that we have that experience. So I don't assume everybody thinks the same way, and I don't assume that we can't talk about it. I assume that we can talk about it. One of the dangers, I think, that we're in at the moment and I think there are several significant dangers, but I think one of the dangers we're in at the moment is the temptation to normalize the behavior of this year which many of us find surreal. So are we going to say, well, that must be the way the world works now, and that's okay. Are we going to do that? And so I want to invite us to consider that that's not the best way to look at it. One of the significant accomplishments of the incoming president is that he has succeeded in totally transforming the concept of truth. That idea has taken on a totally different meaning than it used to have. So that's a significant accomplishment. He has a kind of brilliant independence from any obligation to tell the truth. I try to make that a compliment. <laughs> it really is an awe-inspiring achievement, I think. It's, it's, it's something else. As a matter of fact, when I first started listening to him back in 2016, I said, this guy has got something. And part of it is a kind of hypnotic effect, I think. And part of it is a total rework of what we mean by truth. So that the old concept of truth, I think, is in danger of extinction. At least for maybe a period of years before we recover it. I hope it doesn't take that long. I want to give another compliment to the new president, and that is that he is in the moment, which when we go on retreats, we always say that's a good thing to be in the moment, and that he expresses his feelings. And we always say that's a good thing too, don't we? So I want to give those two compliments. 
But I will not compliment him on telling the truth. As a matter of fact, I do not think that is a goal of his. I think he has created a new set of goals about speaking, and it has won over our society. And the way it works is that it's not the truth that's important. It's how the needle moves on that little meter that registers the audience's reaction. That's the measure. Not whether it's true, but does it move that little needle towards agreement and excitement and acceptance. So one of the things I want to propose this morning is that that is not a good replacement for truth. And that that is one of the predicaments that we're in at the moment. Is that that new idea has has taken over. It's what Stephen Colbert used to call truthiness. It sounds like the truth. So that's something we need to work on in our society in the coming year. And I think the media have to work on it too. Because they're sucked in by this whole thing as well. So in our UU principles, we affirm a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. That's one of our principles. If the truth has really become irrelevant, then we need to get a committee together to rewrite that principle. Because it won't be useful anymore. So we need to think about whether we're committed to this free and responsible search for truth. We need to think about that carefully. And if we don't want to throw it away or rewrite it, then we have to think about how we're going to fight for that, that idea of truth. My friend and colleague, Rabbi Daniel Bogard, some of you know him, he spoke here a couple years ago. Rabbi Daniel wrote a beautiful piece in the Community Word, this month's Community Word. And if you haven't read that, I really encourage you to read Rabbi Bogard's message. And the way he has responded to his, you can see he's in grief. It's very clear when you read his piece. The way he expresses his grief is a kind of lament. And he laments that he feels he was wrong about what America is. And he's thinking of his children. And he, I thought America was a place where everyone was accepted and where everyone had equal value and an equal opportunity. And everyone would be respected. And he says, I told my children that. And as a rabbi, he's extremely sensitive to this issue because of the history of the community he serves. And then in this mournful, beautiful piece, he says, I realized I was wrong. That's not who we are. That's his perception. So I invite you to read that piece of a rabbi who is so disappointed that he says, I was wrong about what America is. So 
we have to think about that too. Are we going to be a community that really accepts everyone, that, that offers full rights to everyone, that gives everyone equal protection before the law, that doesn't persecute any group, but welcomes people? So we really have to think about is that that's in our principles too, the worth and dignity of every person. So we have to think about how serious we, how serious we are about that. Is that something we really want to be committed to? So that's something for us to ponder in this new year. We have to think seriously about whether we're going to have to do some things to defend civil rights and human rights in this year. The executive director of the NAACP nationwide has already been arrested in 2017 for sitting in the office of the person who's nominated to be attorney general. It's already, he and a bunch of his people have already gone to jail. It's only what, January 8th? Because they sat in that office and said, this is not the right choice. This is a person who has already been rejected by the Senate to be a federal judge because of behavior that appears to almost all observers to be racist. So we have to decide what our resolutions are going to be what our places of resolve are going to be. And I want to say that we should not accept this as normal. This is not normal. This is bizarrely different. We might say, give him a chance, and you know what? I support that. He may turn out to be a cross between Martin Luther King, Gandhi, and Susan B. Anthony. I sincerely hope that comes true. But that, are, that is not the signals that have been given. In the history of Unitarian Universalism, they're the first Unitarian in the United States, the one who's given the credit for being the founder, although there are always many people. Uh, his name is William Ellery Channing. He preached a sermon in the early 1800s that really created Unitarianism in America. And he defined a new way of looking at religion and scripture and he's considered the founder of Unitarianism, William Ellery Channing. I'll do a sermon on him one of these days. Um, one of his biographers wrote a biography of Channing and called Channing the reluctant radical. The reluctant radical. I love that phrase. I really do. Because actually I feel like I am a reluctant radical. I really am. I don't want to be a radical. What I want to do is sit in cafes and read books. <laughs> That's what I want to do. 
I want to go to interesting places and walk around museums. I want to go to the barn dance and just have a good time. That's what I want to do. I don't want to go out and, you know, be a radical. I want to go to the barn dance. But history sometimes comes along and says, this is a moment where you have to do something. History does that to us. And doesn't happen all the time, thank goodness, but it happens. And I would suggest to you that we are in that kind of a time period right now. History has dealt a strange deck, a strange hand to us. One might call it surreal. It's very strange, it's unusual, it's not like we're used to being, and it's a challenge to us. And part of, us, part of the challenge is just dealing with it being so strange, and wondering if maybe it's all just a big mistake or something. But, apparently it's not, so we have this challenge before us of what kind of a people do we want to be and what challenges are we going to have to meet then to be that kind of country. And the rhetoric that's out there is rhetoric that we can't ignore. We are today in our service supporting Planned Parenthood, which we've done many, many times over the years in various ways, but part of the new administration's goal is to immediately stop all funding for women's health services of every kind to Planned Parenthood. If that'll be gone in a few weeks. If the plan works out, that'll be over. So it's, it's not, we just can't just sit there. I can't, even though I am a reluctant radical. And I really just want to read my book. I don't have a choice because history has put this before us. So we have to respond in some way. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else makes sense. If the new group of leaders in our country come out with compassionate and loving and progressive and justice-seeking policies, I will stand up and praise them. I will support them. And I'll be so happy. But if the change that's happening in our country is a change away from compassionate healthcare, and if it's a change towards more warlike stances in the world, and if it's a change away from giving full rights to every group and every person, if it's challenging those rights, then I think we have to answer the call. We have, we have to answer the call. 
So I think we have to be watchful in this year. I think we have to be ready to say something. Some people, by the way, think churches can't say anything. That's not true at all. We just can't take a position in an election, by the way. We can say what we want to about issues, and that's what churches do all the time. I think I'm getting closer to my resolution. I wish I only had to lose weight. <laughs> that would be so much easier. Actually, I know how to do that. I've done it several times. <laughs> Count my points and go to my meetings. This is far more serious than that. I know that many of you will be out on the march with me, and I know that many of you are already engaged in your work that your conscience has called you to do. I know what a great thing to be surrounded by people I know who are already engaged. Don't need me to tell you to get engaged. I know you're already doing it. And I also know that we will not all be called to do exactly the same thing. We will feel called in to different kinds of engagement. And we actually may not always agree on what those most important kinds of engagement are. And we won't always agree on which candidates we should support or even what political party we support. We won't always agree on those kinds of things. But we're all called to do something. That, I think, is true, that each one of us is called to do something. I never suspected that we would be in exactly this kind of situation, but here we are. So this year ahead of us, 2017, will be full of challenges. I think, actually, it's going to be a bumpy road. That's what it looks like to me, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But even if it is a bumpy road, it will be full of creative possibilities for us to stand up for our principles. We're going to have those opportunities. It's going to be laid out right in front of us. Do you want to stand up for what you believe in? We're going to have those chances. And I want to suggest to you that we will make new alliances in this effort. The book I'm going to teach a course on in February called uh, The Third Reconstruction by a man named William Barber. He's the head of the uh, Moral Mondays movement in North Carolina, if you've heard about that. A powerful, one of the things he says is we have to work with everybody. We can't say we're just going to be a black movement or a white liberal movement or an LGBTQ movement or support Muslims. We have to be interrelated with everybody. That's part of what is going to work. I think he's right on about that. So there will be new alliances. There will be new insights. There will be new projects that we don't foresee at the moment. And there will be moments of deep disappointment, I think. 
There will be losses. There will be moments of unexpected and surprising victories, too, that we cannot foresee either at this moment because we haven't yet seen those opportunities and how they play out. What we know is that history has sent us a message. It's just like a text on your phone. It's like history has sent you a text saying, we're in a different kind of time right now. We need to be aware of that and understand that our time has arrived. What do we intend to do? What I want to do is I want to stand for democracy. I think democracy is in trouble. You know, part of the whole Russian agenda, that's all in the news, right? Part of that agenda is to destroy the credibility of democracy. That is not a guaranteed thing to survive. So, Part of what I want to do is I want to stand up for democracy. I'm in favor of democracy as opposed to any kind of oppression. I want to stand up for human rights. I want to stand up for justice. I want to stand up for love in the world. We will be creating opportunities in this church for learning, gathering more understanding, and for action. And we will lay out these opportunities. In February, there is a course that uh, I mentioned, and we're also going to do a training on racial awareness and action and how to become more active in that issue. So we're going to be offering programs, and all kinds of other people are offering programs too. Many of them are going to be great. And we will offer camaraderie along the way. We will offer companionship and caring and support. I call upon this church to shine a light of freedom and to say to this community that we are a refuge in this storm. We are a place that people can come and feel welcome and be refreshed and get batteries recharged and join with other people to do the work that needs to be done. We cannot do nothing at all. That's not an option. We cannot do nothing at all because that supports tyranny. That is a way that leads to pain and suffering and quite likely more wars. We have to stand on the side of love. That is the only firm ground I know. I think I have found my resolution. And I hope you will join with me and with us. I hope you will search your heart and join us all in a road that may be a rough ride, but it is still the most direct route to the life we have envisioned and that we want. We are entering choppy waters 
but truth will be our guide and love will show us the way. And that is my offer of a resolution, a sense of resolve to guide us through the new year. So may it be.